Good morning and welcome to Faith Community Bible Church. It's Sunday, February 28th, and my name is Peter Horton, and I'm, I'm service leading, and I'm supposed to be speaking today. I will be giving a short message, um, but we are actually going to be watching uh, some video clips from the Kingdom Justice Summit yesterday. It, it was really, I'll explain just a minute how God brought everything together. Um, uh, we will um, be doing that first, and then we'll actually go into a worship prayer time response, and Lori Crosdale is leading the team. Uh, this Sunday. So just before we get started, let me open in prayer, um, and then I'll do my intro. So Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to um, learn today from you and from brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. I thank you for the opportunity to worship together, even though we're mostly disconnected um, uh, by distance, uh, but interconnected by the internet and your Holy Spirit. And I do pray, God, that you would help us all to enter in and to receive all that you have for us today. I just pray in Jesus' name that you would remove any walls that exist between us and the message that you're trying to convey, and that you would help us all to learn, Jesus, um, how to lament. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the second Sunday of Lent, and um, this is the second message in our series, The Call of the Prophets. Um, if I was to describe to you the role of a prophet, what they do, um, I'll be honest, I would not emphasize uh, telling the future or declaring destiny over a person, even though that's often how we see the prophetic role. Instead, if you look at scripture, the primary purpose of a prophet in the Bible was to lead people back to God um, and, and back to their their covenant relationship with him so that they could be a witness that declared the glory of God over the earth, that they would be light and darkness, uh, a, a candle or a city set on a hill, um, and the way to a relationship with the creator. The prophet would declare the words of God to the people, mainly telling them where they were falling short, how they were defiling God's name, and call them to repentance he would also often tell them the punishment for failing to heed God's warnings. As a result, they weren't always very popular people. Um, and yet they, they had a very important purpose. Um, and that, that purpose was to be the mouthpiece for God. Uh, so um, originally I was going to speak over Isaiah 58. I may do that uh, in a couple weeks in my next uh, talk. But in this passage, God confronts his people through the prophet Isaiah, and he tells them that they're being unjust and selfish and not living as he created them to be, right? Lights in the darkness, the people who reveal him and his heart to the world. Um, and, and God says this. This is my paraphrase of the whole passage. You pretend to be righteous and holy. You cry out to me for help, but you are not. You're not righteous. You ignore the needs of those around you. You ignore the needs of strangers, of the poor, um, of the orphans, your own flesh and blood. In fact, you oppress them and cause them distress. If you're not willing to use your power, the power I gave you to help these people who are in need, I won't use my power to help you. So let me say that again. If you're not willing to use your power to help those you can help who are in need, I won't use my power to help you. Um, but if you start caring for them, if you stop oppressing them, if you use your power to bless them, I will use my power to bless you. It's a, 
it's, a, it's, a, it's something you've heard before. It's in the New Testament as well. If you don't forgive, I won't forgive you, right? That's a, it's a message that keeps going on. I've called you to be my examples in the world for people to see this is you represent me to the world and I've given you power. I want you to use it to bless others, especially those who are in need. Um, I, I like this passage because one of the things it points out is that merely feeling sorry or confessing sin about something you've done that is wrong is not good enough for God, right? We need to be a part of the solution. We need to help heal. Um, and I'm, talk, I'm not talking about fix. Uh, that's the wrong word. We're not called to fix things, but to be a part of the solution. And that often happens through relationship with the people that are struggling and are oppressed or the ones that we've sinned against. Um, but, but in the midst of thinking about that, the focus changed last week after Scott's talk. And instead of working through Isaiah 58, I felt, and instead we were called to a, to a time of lament. But here's the problem. Um, I don't know how to lament. And I wonder how many of you do, too. Um, you know, and yet God commands us to lament, to lament for our own sin and l- lament with others for the injustice that they're experiencing or the pain in their life or even their own sin. So in James 4, he says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's an image of, of lamenting, grieving, mourning, and wailing. Um, and then in Romans 12, we're told to lament for, for one another as well as to rejoice. It says in 15, verse 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And honestly, I think for myself and maybe for you both are hard to do. Um, I don't like always appearing weak. Uh, and at, at times it's okay. I'm, I, I can be quite honest about my failures, but even then I second guess myself and wonder, what is everyone else thinking about me as I share the struggles in my life? I don't like being out of control or feeling like I have no control over a situation or circumstance, which humbling yourself before God and others often puts you in a place of no control. We don't enjoy humbling ourselves before God Um, We don't enjoy humbling ourselves before others. Um, This is both a cultural reality for us and a human one too, and it makes lament very difficult. Yet we are commanded to mourn and to weep and to weep with those who weep and mourn, to share in their sufferings and to be honest about our own, to lament over the things we are sometimes directly responsible for and other times complicit in, or even in some cases things that have happened long ago that we could not or would not do today, but our ancestors, our church fathers and mothers caused or participated in. You know, when I began my message today, I, I, um, I knew I had, it had to be in response to what God, what God spoke through Scott last week. And it had to answer in some way how we as the body of Christ could and should respond to the failure of, of, our, of the church here in Madison and, and, and maybe in the U.S., uh, at large, how we, and the place to start, I felt was, was lament. Um, and, and lament is defined as mourning or passionate expression of grief and sorrow. Um, but we can't lament if we don't know how to, and even more, we can't lament if we don't know the pain that um, has been caused uh, in others' lives, right? Um, or, the, or even the people that have hurt personally. Now, I'm not, I'm not black, though my children are, 
but we're mostly to this point in our life isolated from the struggles of black people in the black church. So I honestly don't know how to lament. So what we need is to connect with the pain in some way, the fears that people have and understand in some way, if we, the church have been complicit in or directly caused this pain, it's not easy, right? That's hard too. So I knew from um, Sunday on that, uh, that the answer for us in this to learn how to lament was to enter into the stories of others. Um, I've been learning this past year how to minister to people who have experienced trauma in their lives. Um, and what I, here's what I've learned. Healing for oppressed, traumatized people comes through listening with them and walking through their painful memories without judgment, but with love and compassion and God's presence. When we help listen and care, when we point them towards Jesus, we help them process and experience these traumatic memories with God's living and interactive presence, and they receive healing. And honestly, so do we. I mean, I have been in several now of these sessions helping people through their traumatic experiences, and I'm, as I listen to their stories, I get to know them better. I get to understand their pain and where it comes from, and at the same time, um, see God heal them. But at the same time, I too experience God's love, his presence, his peace. We, every time we do this, I'm in groups of, of eight or 10 people. Everyone weeps while the person shares. We all experience their trauma and we all experience their healing. <clears throat> and honestly, this isn't easy. It's an uncomfortable journey and one I oftentimes would run away from and would prefer not to deal with. Um, uh, but again, this is something I feel like we're called to, not to just be sorry about what's happening, but actually be a part of God's provision and his healing. Um, and even to be able to acknowledge and see head on not only the pain that others have experienced, but the pain we may have been complicit in or caused ourselves or the plain pain that our church in the past has contributed to. And that the reality that we live in today is built upon. Um, now this is real and it's raw what we're going to watch. When I began to prepare this message, uh, as I wanted to share a story, I felt like it had to be from the experience of someone who'd been directly hurt by the church action or interaction. And yet I couldn't find anything. There wasn't anything out there. And I wasn't about to invite someone in, in a couple of weeks. Hey, would you come talk to us and share at our service? And yet yesterday it happened. Um, I was watching some of the Kingdom Justice Summit. And if you saw it, Lalita G, she shared uh, her, her hopes, the seven hopes of a black woman. And as she shared, it was really real and honest. I began to connect with her and her, her pain and her fears. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's close to home for Lori and I. The first thing she shares, you will understand why when she shares it, reminds us of our own son and our fears for him. Uh, Jake, 21-year-old black man. Um, and, and, we're, and we're afraid. It's not that I don't trust the authorities. It's just the reality of our current culture, right? And, uh, and you know, even the best people take action sometimes that we would rather that they didn't. Um, but what she shares is real and raw, and, and it's important for us to listen. And so I'm going to ask you, as we enter into this video, will you, will, you be, will you enter it without judgment of her? Will you be open to what she's sharing? Will you recognize this is her experience and her reality? And, and, and as you listen, will you, will you um, 
where you have compassion and sympathy for her, and maybe even empathy on some level as you're able to enter in. This will help you understand how to lament with black people and the black church. And even more, it'll help us to understand how to, how to um, lament with anyone who's struggling uh, with pain, sin, or some kind of injustice in their life. So um, I, I also want you to know, this is a disclaimer for the rest of the church. It was my decision to share this video and the two videos we're going to watch. We're going to start with a, a clip of a sharing time that Leda did. And then we're going to go to an interview with Leda and her brother, Alex G. Um, and uh, them sharing from the conference. Now, we know these people. They're our friends, right? We trust them. We've worked with them for years. In fact, Lori and I attended Fountain of Life for six years before coming here. And so, and, and I want you to know, as this woman shares, um, not only is she our friend, not only is she known by many of us, but she's a successful UW-Madison educated black woman. And she's sharing vulnerably from her heart. So please receive it in that way. So again, I'm just going to pray as we begin. Lord, help us to be open to what you have for us this morning and to receive the truth that's being proclaimed here in Jesus' name. Amen. So did you get a chance to work on the task that I gave you last week? I did. It, it wasn't easy, but I did. I made my list. And I did that. It was hard, but, you know, I took the time to write down my thoughts on hope and the hopes that I have. I came up with seven things. One. I hope that my son doesn't get shot and killed by the police. You know, I have a black son and I always worry about him. Like, the moment he leaves the house until the moment he comes back home. I am in knots. I can't sleep. I feel it in my throat. I feel it in my gut. And I'm worried about him. And he, it's not like he's out there doing anything, any ruckus. He's just being a young black man, just trying to live his best life. But I know that he's at risk just from being out there. And I know just a simple thing like his taillight being out. It becomes a big issue for me. Get your taillight fixed. You don't want the police to stop you for anything, for any reason. Make sure you're driving the speed limit. You don't want to get stopped for any reason. And I feel bad because I feel like I'm putting my fears on him. You know, he's not afraid like I'm afraid. You know, he's free and just doing what he wants to do and he should be able to do that. He should be able to do that, you know, but I don't know. I think my fears, I don't think he can really understand them. I don't know that I can fully understand them. And, you know, I think about this every day, every day. 
I pray about this every day. I feel anxiety and fear about my son's safety. Two, I hope my daughter doesn't get shot and killed by the police. You know, when I had a son, he was cute when he was little, but I knew one day he was going to be a tall, grown black man. And I knew that how the world perceived him when he was cute and three was going to change. I knew that. But I didn't know that the world was going to look at my daughter the same way. That she was someone to be afraid of. That her life was so vulnerable. I didn't know that. You know, and I can't, I can't get away from the news. I can get off social media. But even when you try to shut down, you know, even when you're not even trying to seek out to see these things, you see them all the time. You, on your timeline, you see all the shootings of unarmed black men and unarmed black women and I can't escape it. And when I heard about Breonna Taylor, I just thought, this girl could be my daughter. And as much as we are on alarm with being out and driving while black, as much as we are on alarm for that, I just, I didn't know that we had to be on alarm for being in our own homes and our own beds. I didn't know that my daughter could be at much at risk in her home sleeping, that she could be shot and killed, that she could be shot and killed and no one would be to blame. And it wasn't even the right house. Three, I hope that I don't get shot and killed by the police. I grew up without any fear of the police. There was no disdain. There was no anger at the police, just like everybody else. I just kind of thought the police were there to protect you and to serve you. And if you got in trouble, you know, you could call the police and they'd be there for you. And then I heard about Sandra Bland. And I thought, how do you go from, how do you go from forgetting to put on your turning signal to being arrested and three days later you're dead? How does that happen? And what I think white people don't understand is that when something happens to black people, it's, you don't have to know them. You don't have to be related to them, but you take some sense of responsibility. You feel the pain. You feel, I didn't know Sandra, but then I knew her when she died. I just start looking up videos and I start watching her and I, I saw that she had all this passion and all this sense of righteousness about how life should be for black people and, and standing up for your rights. And I read that she was trying to get her life. I became obsessed. I became obsessed because I kept trying to find a reason 
why she ended up dead. Because Sandra became me and Sandra became every black woman that I know and love. And so I had to find out what happened that she died because then I got scared. Like I got terrified and I never used to be afraid of the police. And I remember after this, I was driving home from work and I got pulled over from the police. And he said that my license plate was expired. And he asked me for my license and I told him that my purse was in the back seat. And he asked me, did I want to grab it? Or did I want him just to look it up and, and I'm just holding on to the steering wheel. I knew not to move. I knew not to reach for anything because I knew just one movement that it could be my life. And I said, please just look it up because my purse is in the back seat and I don't, I don't want to reach for it. I never felt that fear before. And now I can't unfeel it. I can't unfeel it. I could just be driving down the street. And if I see a police car behind me, I'm terrified. Because I'm not just thinking, he's just going to pull me over. It's just going to be a ticket. I'm thinking I might die. I hope one day I can move through the city of Madison without being on full alert everywhere that I go that I'm a black woman. There's the microaggressions. People have said this so much that it just has become annoying. There's the macroaggressions. There's all the things that aren't so little. You know, it's like, I've lived in this city my whole life, and I've been an upright citizen. I've tried to do good things. Yet when I go into the store, I'm followed around. And it's hard because you want to think, okay, everything is not racist. Every, everybody is not following you. Everybody is not trying to hurt you. So I walk around the store and I see this guy following me. I'm like, so I move from the lipstick to the eyeshadow. I move from the eyeshadow to the perfume. Everywhere I go, there he is. Everywhere I go, there he is. And he didn't have on like a pen that say I work for this store or nothing like that. So at first I was like, okay, is this man following me? Then I was like, is this man following me? Like, who is this man following me? And then I realized he was the undercover security guy. Now, what about me looked like I, one, needed to steal some mascara or some lip gloss? Two, that I would. Like, how would my grown-looking self look stealing some lip gloss from this little store? You know, I just wanted to go to the store. I just wanted to shop. Like, I wasn't trying to be mad that day. Maybe I was. I wasn't really trying to be mad that day. And then that happened. I'm just like, come on now. Or, like, 
I went out for my birthday. Just hanging out with my girlfriends and we're out just having a good time, laughing, talking, drinking, eating. And the waitress from the table next to us comes over and tells us, you need to quiet down. Now, we was a little loud. But we was not as loud as her table. We full of white people. And they was not just loud. They were vulgar, just saying disgusting things. I mean, to the point where I thought the lady, I found out later she was the boss. <laughs> I thought the lady was about to get on the table, start jumping up and dancing. But nobody said into her, like, how is my voice louder? How is my voice a problem? How am I a problem in this space that I came to just to celebrate my birthday? I just am so done with that. It gets to the place where I just feel like I want to stay home sometime. Like, I don't even want to go out because I know by the time I get back home, I'm going to be mad as hell. So let me just stay home, Netflix it up, you know, and... Then I have to be bothered with annoyances. But this, this is my hometown. I shouldn't have to worry about that. I should be able to go, but that's not an issue right now. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of this talk. And I am Marcio Sierra. I am the pastor of Lighthouse Church, but I'm also a board member of Collaboration Project. So it is truly an honor for me to be with these amazing uh, people, uh, Leilita G and Pastor Alex G., and thank you for your questions. Please remember that you can send your questions uh, if there's anything that you would like to, to ask them. But let's get right to it because we only have uh, about 20 minutes and we want to hear what you guys have to share with us. So, and whoever wants to start first, but the first question says, what should or could the white church responses be to the hopes and laments of the black church in Madison today? So what should or could the white church's response be to the hopes and laments of the black church in Madison today? You know, the, the quickest answer is compassion. It should be compassion, but my dread is that I think the white church has not heard nor felt the laments of the black church and the black Christian community. I, and I would add to that, we're all parents. And when we're in another room and we hear our child crying, the very first question is, Baby, what's wrong? What happened? And then when they can't articulate it, you start looking at their hands and their diapers. Try to, you, you want to understand the root of that? I think the best thing that the white churches can do is to really lean in and understand what the lament is and why. Mm -hmm. Deeply understand it before doing anything. Because if you're not understanding it, your response will be, stop mm -hmm. crying. Or there's, there's nothing to cry about. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand. And then that moves to, being more sympathetic once you mm -hmm. understand why someone's crying. Do you think we understand? Do you think the white church understands the lament? I mean, that's not even a word that we use a lot. No. 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 As a matter of fact, historically, the white church has been the reason for the lament. <laughs> it's been the reason for our pain. It's been the course of our pain, and it's, it's been the justifier of our pain. If you go back to slavery and the justification of how black people were treated, you know, it was the white Christians at the forefront. If you look at the KKK, it was pastors and, and good Christians who were part of the KKK who were in the crowds when 
black men and black women were being lynched. So um, I think the white church has to grapple with how have we caused this? What has been our sin that has caused the lament of the black church? And, you know, in that same regard, um, I've heard comments like we want to learn, we want to understand. But what does it look like for the white church to really listen, to see and lament over racial injustices? I think it comes back to listening also and, and understanding history and um, understanding how this happened and why it continues to happen mm-hmm. and to ask God for a heart that breaks over the things that breaks mm-hmm. God's heart and to be in relationship. Um, I have deep friends. I, I have friends um, who are Asian American. I don't, I don't know what it's like to be Asian American in this, in this country, in this world. But I know them. And so when I read about things happening to them, that's egregious, having fear for their grandparents. I want to know what can I do? I, and I understand that it's real. And, and mm-hmm. what role can I play? But I'm touched by it, even though I don't understand it. But I'm in relationship. And that's what that's what draws me in. I think we have to find real meaningful relationship that's not around an annual Good Friday service or a Pentecost mm-hmm. service. Or We have to really build deep relationships. We are the children of God and we claim we're going to live together forever. We might as well start getting to know each other now. There's a question here from Dave Mayer, and she says, what are the biggest scale injustices in Madison area that you see? So we're bringing it back home. What are the biggest scale injustices in Madison, in the Madison area that you see right now? Well, we know that it's been documented that Madison, Dane County, you know, Wisconsin is one of the worst place. is the worst place to live for black people looking at about 40 different determinations, poverty, unemployment, you know. So I think what we have to grapple with is the tale of two cities, that Madison is the best place to live for white people, is the worst place to live for black people. And I think Madison is drunk on its liberalism. I think Madison is drunk on its reputation. And it has not had to face the fact that something is going on here in this, which seems like a liberal city, and something is going on here that this is the worst place of disparity between blacks and whites. So I think one of the biggest, the biggest things to grapple with is really looking also at the social service organization here. You know, it's it's the the gatekeeper, it's the thing that ushers in a lot of the disparities that happen in our families and in our community. I think you hit it on the head. Yeah, you know, as, as you think about uh, the question of lament and when we think about, you know, the biggest scale injustices and what you mentioned about the tale of the two cities, you know, would you say that part of the reason what maybe that the white church is not lamenting is because they're celebrating the fact that this is the great, the best mm-hmm. city to live. You know, if, mm-hmm. if, I think it was a year or two years back that it was the greater city you right. know, to raise a family. Right. So how can they lament when they're celebrating the fact that this is a great place to live? That's I, right. Oh, I was just going to quickly say, you know, I had a Christian leader in, in the city of Madison who basically told me, well, we just had this article come out that said Madison is one of the friendliest cities. Don't you think it's getting better? I'm like, hell no. You know, lamenting is not an activity. It's not like you cry because you stubbed your toe. Lamenting, lament is a posture. Oh, that's good. It's the way you go through a life. It's not what you do for 30 seconds until someone notices 
you're crying. And really what the white church needs to do, and it's sad that we're that we're dichotomizing the church or trichotomizing it by, by breaking it up between our little enclaves. Um, it's also because historically the white church would not let black people and other people be a part of it. And so we have these other factions because of that. But I would really say to leaders of the white church, lean into the heart of God and then that will make it easier to lean into my pain. Oh, that's good. Because this is not a cultural movement. We're not trying to spiritualize social services or civil rights. It's very biblical. I mean, mm-hmm. Israel got in trouble for not only chasing false gods, but for getting the widows, yes. the orphans, the fatherless, the the, the foreigners. They, they, you know, Old Testament, King James said aliens, um, which is an odd word to, to you know, to, to, to use. But that's what I learned growing up. But lean into God's heart. I'm not trying to ask people to put me on a pedestal. But look at what broke God's heart and what did God in flesh come to do and to to free and to establish. And so I would really say that um, the church that doesn't get this, that doesn't understand lament, has got to lean into God in order to lean into the pain of human beings. Mm. And as we think about leaning into God, God, there's this question here that says, are there any specific challenges, you know, we can say into leaning into God or that you might offer to how the broader church can express hope to the broader, broader community. What are the challenges into leaning to the heart or how to express hope from within the church to the broader community? I want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. People from the broader church asking what can they do to... Yeah, the, the question actually says, are there any specific challenges you might offer for, the, for how the broader church can express hope yes. to the broader yes. community? I think that I think the um, the broader church has to tell the truth. It's got to look at the doctrine of discovery. It's got to look at American exceptionalism. It's got to look at the validation of colonization by by various crowns in Europe and by the and by the Vatican. They have to understand that people came here being told if land has not been used for Christ for 200 years, you have permission to take it. And so what was done to the Native Americans and going to get the Africans and raping and stealing people's children was an act of worship and it was an act of patriotism. And so people who were oppressed in Europe came to America and oppressed people. Mm -hmm. And so I don't necessarily need the broader church to understand my history. I need the broader church to understand its history. That's how we were founded. So you're never going to lament over me unless you lament the fact of what the church has done and how it has steamrolled innumerable amounts of people through our dogma and our greed and, and, and through its origin. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was a machine in its origin here in this country. And unless Christianity is willing to lament what we have done and how we have taken God's name in vain, they're never going to lament over my pain because the church That's must right. lament over its own pain, including accepting slaves as tithes to buy its silence. But but the doctrine of discovery um, and American exceptionalism that we that Americans were Israel, it legitimized everything from rape to robbery. And we and that's been done in Jesus's name. And someone's going to have to give an account for that crap. Good. Thank you for that. Let's talk about programs here. So this question says, how do we create new programs? Who are the people that you trust? to lead Madison to a better program reality? We don't. We don't need another damn program. We don't need a program. Okay. We need some compassion. We need the reality check. 
like my brother said, we need the church to understand what its role has been. And um, we need introspection. We need to look within ourselves to understand, you know, when we look at racism, you know, no one's a racist. No one is. And so I'm wondering how is no one ever a racist, but we continue to have a racist society. And and I think if there is a program, I'm going to call it um, white mother, white father, figure out how you all keep raising white children who, who become racist and take over that system. That's the program we need. Right. Talking about programs in this critical moment, that was powerful, the lady. We might not need to just rest for a second. Say la. Mm. Pause and think about that in Jesus' name. <laughs> but talking about programs in the midst of all of this trauma, uh, Pastor Marcio is, like, Marcio is like asking for roll aids when I'm having a heart attack. You know, it feels like indigestion, but indigestion doesn't kill you. And so we jump to program because that means mm -hmm. we don't have to talk about what the later just said. Mm -hmm. A program is not going to be built around American exceptionalism and, mm -hmm. the, and dismantling it or the doctrine of discovery. The program is not about that. How many denominations have, have, have um, uh, brought that, that doctrine up, that, mm -hmm. docu that document, that doctrine up and said, you know, we repent for doing mm -hmm. that. We murdered people. We legitimize every evil thing that we have done. Even the rise of, um, of, of not just white supremacy, but male supremacy and being able to, to be able to dominate women and children, all of that stuff was authorized. People didn't just say, Hey, let's do this. Mm -hmm. They did it with a blessing. And I'm an old fisherman. If you tangle your line this way, you don't untangle it this way. You go backwards. Mm -hmm. When do we begin to untangle what we've Tangle the program. There's a program. It's called an exorcism. My God. Program is prayer. The program is repentance, mm -hmm. and the program is repenting and doing your first work. Again, we have an opportunity mm -hmm. in a broken world that's shut down in quarantine, that's looking for hope, mm -hmm. and we're asking for programs when we can be salt and light, and we're too proud to repent mm -hmm. of what we've done, but we want to point at everyone else's sin. Judgment begins at the house of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Will you, will you say that a program oftentimes might be like a scapegoat or like a make me feel good? You know, I did the program, so. <laughs> well, the program means I'm right, you're wrong, and I can fix you. Program means I have the power and, and, and you know, so, yeah. And, and, and frankly, program to me equals social services a lot of times. And so there's a lot of white people, a lot of white social workers who have created programs that have led to the new car they're driving, their house in the um, up north, their cabins, their vacations. So white programs equals black poverty. So I don't need another program. We've gone to some of the poorest places in the world and I've never had a black mother in distress or a black boy without a dad <laughs> saying, please, Give us programs. Right. Give us programs. We That's need good. another program. Yes. Give us, we need another. What we need is a program. No, what we need is people to get their, 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 neck, their knees off of people's necks. Yeah. Thank you for that. So, Reverend Lelita, this is for you. How can churches respond to stories that, like the one that you told and create spaces for more people to share? Well, I'm not sure what that means. If that means white churches to create more spaces for people to share, black churches create places for more people to share and share to what end. So I'm not really sure exactly what they mean by that, but I think that one can share. And, you know, 
And in sharing what I shared today, you know, there's a level of vulnerability and a level of pain to that. And I want to be clear that I don't want it to be entertaining. Like I'm not for the entertainment of people. Um, what I shared was for a change of heart and a change of actions. And I, so don't just want me to share and then you stay the same. Like right now, we don't need another share. Watch that video again. Take notes, feel it. And what does that have to do? You know, let's, let's not run away from the moment that we have today and the things that have been shared. Let's let this settle in. And if what's been shared today doesn't move you to do something different, you're not getting another play from me. So this question has to do, maybe we already answered this question because it says, as brothers and sisters in Christ, how might we better love each other in this moment in history? You know, and you, and you talk about the heart of God and, But what does that mean, you know, in practical ways? You know, if someone is just watching and in a tangible way, how do we get close to the heart of God? You know, asking how we love more almost feels like how do you become more pregnant? Either you are <laughs> or you aren't. That's the truth. Like either Lalate and I are brother and sister or we aren't. Because I was her brother, like I said in my message, I was not allowed to go places she couldn't go because we were connected. We were tethered. And so I think what the church has to do is, to define love biblically and mm. either do it or not do it. Mm. But to, for, 400, for 400 years to have been silent concerning the pain and the rape and the suffrage of black mm -hmm. people. And we're still trying to say, well, is this critical race theory, Alex? Are you being somewhat Marxist? And to still be doing, doing this after 400 years, to, 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 to be angry because schools are teaching this in history and to have that happen by, by Christian people, those mm -hmm. folks can't love me more because right. they don't love me. My God, you know, we're good. supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice. Mm -hmm. Let's just go back to the book. Like, just because we're talking about issues, let's not jump out of the Bible mm -hmm. and start thinking programmatically and through socials. Mm -hmm. Let's just do what the book says. Yes. Let's, let's love people. Let's treat people the way we would want to be treated. Would you want someone to ignore your child's pain? Right. Would you want someone to rape your daughter? Would you want someone to rape your grandmother and then say, shut up, that didn't hurt, you had it coming. Um, this is just the way it is. Don't tell anybody. What we want to say, let's not look back so we can look forward. Um, and you should stop being angry. Mm -hmm. I've had more people, Christian people, be upset because I'm angry mm -hmm. than understanding why I am angry. Right. And, you know, I preached a couple weeks ago about the, the um, Jesus and the, the, the woman, the widow from Nain. And he just said he went and he, was, he felt compassion as she was walking to bury her son. And he said, don't cry. Like you could hear the sympathy in the heart of God, not... Why are you crying? Mm -hmm. Quick, get out of the way. I'm coming here to do God's work. <sighs> you know, come on. You mm -hmm. can have other children. He, he stopped, he stopped the, the procession, making himself ceremonially unclean. He said, don't cry. Because that healing was not about her loss of her son. She had no husband and no son, so she had no economic base. Mm -hmm. Jesus was moved by her plight of poverty yes. in the world and said, don't cry. I've got a solution. Mm -hmm. If the church doesn't want to be solutions oriented and the church doesn't want to be sensitive to the pain of the people made in the image and likeness of God, then the church is not the church. Right. It's like we're complicating things. I mean, it's, it's there, right? I mean, right. the answer is there. Right. The we're complicating things by denying things. Yeah. And refusing things and refusing right. to love. And, you know, it, it got to a point where either, you know, to be a Christian is to be Christ-like. 
either you're like Christ or you're not like Christ. Right. And like Alex said, either you're pregnant or you're, or you're not pregnant, you know. And I think that you can't be a little bit like Christ and still be a Christian, you know. And I think we have to push ourselves to make sure that we are lining up with the basic thing, and that is love. That's the basic thing. And we can't get that right as the church. We can't get love right. But we have our rules and our regulations, our ceremonies. That is not what a Christian is. If you don't have love, you don't have a love for God's people, you are not a Christian, period. And, and Pastor, I would just add, that's powerful again, Lelita. I, I taught her everything she knows. <laughs> um, letter to Jesus and everything. Uh, no, no, that's, that's brilliant, sis. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. You. you know, when we were growing up, we were taught we would be eternally lost if we didn't love white people. We were taught that we would go to hell. The white people that were beating our grandparents who wanted to vote, all these things, we were told that. And then we're asking, do we need a program to understand black people? Do we need, how do we listen and lament? Our treatment of you, white people, was wrapped up into our salvation. How did you come to Jesus and not think that loving me was a part of that? Right. This is the final question. Uh, so we have about, you know, four minutes. And maybe you can just give me, uh, both of you can give me your thoughts. When you walk into a church, what would you see that told you that this church cared about kingdom justice? Nothing. Because if a church cares about kingdom justice, I'm going to see it outside of those walls. That's what I'm going to know that you're about it. That's a good point. If you have to walk into the church to see it, right, then it's not to be seen. Right. Yes. I think we just need to understand what the church is. That's right. what we really need. Yeah. That's what we need to lament, I, that we don't know what right. the church is. I thought it was us. Yes. That's what I thought. Yes. But if yes. it ain't us. Ooh, what is it? What is it? Yes. Yes. Well, this has been, you know, powerful. You know, thank you. Thank you very much, you know, for your answers and for, you know, everything that you're doing in the community. We're going to enter into a time of worship with a prayer and possibly lament response. Um, no pressure on you, but uh, as we're kind of entering in this, ask God to continue to place on your heart, his, his heart for those who are oppressed, his heart for us and how he wants us to respond uh, to what's going on in the world around us, what it looks like for us as a church to be a part of God's bigger um, vision uh, for humanity and his desire that we would be uh, a church made up of every race, ethnicity, uh, and culture. So, Jesus, would you help us now as we enter into worship and prayer? Guide and direct his Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Raise up emotions um, and a desire, God, to see you move in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Jesus, last on night.
O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have left the dead bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the sky, the flesh of your own people for the animals of the wild. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of contempt to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. take this moment to just um, enter and be with you, Lord, to hear someone's suffering and, and a cry of our community. And we also identify with those things. We, we take time to lament. Maybe we use the word grieve. We go through the stages of that grieving to really understand your heart, God to understand where we stand in relationship to you. We want to know your heart. We want to know the depths of the cries. We want to have deep cries of injustice, that we might know your justice, that we might be moved with the hope of the resurrection. We're going to do another song that is um, uh, also a lament, Psalm 55.
you are our hope and our salvation Um, and we pray God that not only you would rescue us that you would open our eyes to see the suffering that's around us the part that we played in it and how you want us not only to to acknowledge that but to repent God we pray for our brothers and sisters of color we pray for those who are oppressed and suffering in our city And we ask, God, that you would rescue them and save them. We ask that you would bring them to a place of hope, that you would would transform this city and that you would use us to do that. Um, Lord, we we confess that we have not listened to our black brothers and sisters, to others who are oppressed, that when they have cried out, we have ignored their cries because we're too busy or too isolated. We confess, God, that we're not aware of our history. We've ignored the church's role in oppression in the past and present. We have not confessed and repented from it or even begun to work towards change. We confess, Lord, that we've even blamed them for not working hard enough, for not doing their part. Um, We have not seen the oppression of the people, the traumatized reality that they experience and their need for deep healing and our part in it or even our trauma and our oppression and our unwillingness to acknowledge it. Forgive us, Lord, for how we've not entered their stories, or we've entered it with judgment and anger. Forgive us, Lord, for how we throw money or programs at what we see as problems to fix it without realizing that the problem is often us and how we miss out that relationships are key. Help us, Lord, to enter into their pain, the pain we have caused, others to experience it firsthand so that we might lament God on their behalf when our own forgive us Lord for not loving as you loved us So we invite you, God, to, to move in us and to tip us toward um, really taking time to lament, time to grieve on our own. And hopefully this has been just a little primer to get us going in this Lenten season. And as we are in this cocoon of COVID, um, that we would just take the time to really find your heart and uh, that we might step out and be your hands and your feet going forward 
that we would come into our true sons and daughtership. And we'll, uh, we're going to, is it okay, Peter, if we end with a song? Okay. We're going to end with Psalm uh, 98, Aggie's tune. Without Aggie, but we have Tom. So uh, we're going we're gonna to do this tune. Please sing along with us. Creation's waiting for For the sons and daughters to be 
continue to help us in this process as we learn and grow together um, for your kingdom and your name's sake. Amen. Um, I have just a few announcements. I'll tell you those now and then we're going to move on to Zoom. Um, first, thank you for everyone who helped make this service possible today. Uh, thank you, Doug and Carl and Ross. Thank you, Lori and team uh, for helping out. Um, of course, thank you, John Anderson, who let us use the, the videos today. Got permission from him. Um, thank you uh, to Jeff Pohorsky who, who uh, cut them out of a larger one for us and prepared them for today. And thank you for all of you for participating with us. I, I know it's rough. We're working this through. Um, I feel the awkwardness of not being present with all of you. I, for me, I think it'd be a little bit easier to enter in that way, especially something like this. And I am looking forward to the day when that happens. So we have, I just have um, two announcements for you. Uh, the first is, I think it's okay to say about the letter, right? Yeah, that we signed a letter of intent with a developer. Um, and what this means basically is it's it's not binding. It just means that over the next uh, 120 days, with them alone, we will be looking into the possibility of signing a contract. And that contract would mean either um, we're a part of a larger development here on this property and we own a, a condo on the first level. That's the one we've been talking about for years. Or we sell this property to them um, and look for another spot near campus with a partner or partners in which we can build something even more or none of the above. So, uh, which anyway, we're, I want you just to continue to pray into this for option A or B for God's guidance and direction in terms of how to move forward. Um, and that he would make it really clear to all of us. We can talk more about this on the Zoom call later if you like. Um, so the second is we are um, looking into, oh yeah, thank Leda too for her uh, honest sharing. Um, oh, the second is we are looking for ways forward to possibly do some kind of limited in-person service starting fairly soon. Um, that. I not it doesn't appeal. Some people don't think that's a good idea. You want to talk with us about it? Please do. We are considering it a possibility, um, uh, and uh, we still have more tech people to talk to. We want to hear everyone's uh, you know a voice on this on some level. But the elders would like to move in that direction. But keeping in mind, we're watching COVID numbers. If we start to see a spike again, we're not going to go in that direction. Um, but but there's a number of reasons why we'd really like to do this. So. I'm just letting you know right now, please be in prayer for that as well. And we hope we hope that something works out fairly soon. Um, 
And again, this, I say this every Sunday I'm, I, I lead to, we bring the presence of God to each other. And now, of course, to our brothers and sisters across Madison. So think of ways this week you can share and or bring the presence and a blessing of God to someone else in our body or maybe someone else in the body of Christ. An email, a text, um, a phone call, um, something that the Lord maybe lays on your heart, a verse, a word, um, a prayer, just whatever he does in order that we can encourage and bless one another. And we bless you too in Jesus' name. So we'll move to our um, Zoom call now. Great. Thank you.